All right, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, We're going to turn to God's Word to start us off this morning, and I'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 4, covering that entire chapter. So I'll give you time to turn there in your Word. 1 Timothy chapter 4. beginning in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for your truths that are given to us through your scriptures. God, it is what we can cling to, it's what we can hold firm to in a world around us that is chaotic, it seems like it is out of control, but Father, we know that your sovereign hand is over it all. And we just come before you today, we bow the knee to your sovereignty. We pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, that you equip us, that you infuse us with the knowledge and wisdom of your word, that we would look to it to guide us and to discern the path that is ahead of each and every one of us in our individual walks. And God, as we worship you together corporately as one body in Christ, we pray that we do it with a heart that is sincere, with a heart that is intentional. We want to show you our reverence before you, God, but we also want to show you the joy that we have in being able to worship you. And thank you for this gift of worship And may we do it in a way that is pleasing to you, that we are a fragrant aroma unto you, God, as we uh, live out our lives as a living sacrifice. God, I pray that your word will convict us where we need to be convicted. It would restore us where we need to be restored, that it would mend our hearts, that it would um, bring broken relationships back together, God, that you would do as you've already intended to do and purposed, and that we would just align ourselves with your will today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, you may be seated. 
Amen. <laughs> well, if you will turn with me, um, I'm going to look ahead and uh, give you a passage that we're more or less going to be centering uh, this teaching on this morning. We have one more day or one more Sunday in our vision and values for our church. And for this morning, our main passage of Scripture is going to come from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. So go ahead and turn there in your word, and we'll come back to that here in a moment. You can bookmark it because there's a few other passages that we're going to cover this morning. As we look at this value of discipling or equipping the saints... And I did try to hand out copies several Sundays ago of the vision and values statement. And if you do not have a copy of that um, and would like one, I can have Jesus um, take these out into the congregation. If you just want to show your hand, if you need one, we'll be more than happy to put one in your hands. And if you'll go over there, I think Bo said he needed one. Probably have about five or six copies left. Anybody else need one? If you have that with you, the, the fourth value and the final value that we have is the discipling or the equipping of the saints. And so I'm going to read that, and uh, some of you may be surprised that you're seeing me up here teaching on this today. I know a, a text message that I sent out to many of you said that Ray was bringing this teaching this morning, but um, unfortunately Ray contracted the flu this weekend and was running temperature, and he really wanted to be here to teach this message. And I said, well, we're to be equipping the saints with the Word of God and, and not with our uh, flus and, and those kinds of things. We don't want you to spread that to us. So um, we encouraged him to stay home today. He really wanted to be here. And I understand why, and I know he had a good teaching prepared for you. Uh, but we will just look to the Word of God to guide us this morning. So if you are if you got that open in front of you, that vision and values It says under our discipling value that we value making disciples of those who God has called unto himself in salvation. We will strive to encourage and affirm the gifts that God has given to each believer to function within the body of Christ, his church. We will strive to protect the body from the corruption of false ideologies and religions while recognizing and demonstrating it is by God's grace that we are saved And thereby, each and every believer is equipped to serve God and others for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Therefore, we will strive to equip the saints through edification in God's Word, faithful teaching, prayer, service, and instilling the importance of consecration and sanctification in each and every life of the one who is called a child of God. We have many reference scriptures that are also listed in our values there, and I will try to reference most of them. I don't think I have all of them here, and one of them you will see is that Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 14, which I would say more or less is the hinge verses uh, for this particular value. There is a journey, I think, that starts for every one of us at the moment that we are saved by God's grace until the Lord calls us home. We have that period in between that we should be seeing ourselves in a state of growth. Uh, That idea of sanctification is something that is continual within the life of every believer, within the life of one who calls himself a child of God. And we are indwelt 
with God by the presence of His Holy Spirit in our lives. And the Holy Spirit is what enables us and empowers us for acts of service unto God and for His glory. But one of the things that it does for us is it also unites us as one in the family of God. We become part of a larger family. We call that the family of God. Uh, It could be referred to also as the bride of Christ. That is also a description of the church. But as we come alongside each other and bring each our, our individual walks into the church, God is glorified when we are obedient to the calling that he has called for each and every one of us. So Romans chapter 12 is one of the reference verses that I wanted to bring in this morning that describes the callings that are on each and every one of those who God has called unto himself in salvation. So in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes here, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And Paul is describing the ways in which the various gifts that God has given to each and every single member of the body of Christ is to be used to function within the holistic church. Each member bringing their gifts as a sacrifice unto God. We become a living sacrifice unto Him. And that enables the church to function as God intends for it to function and as He has described it in His Word, how the church is put together and how it's supposed to conduct itself to the world around us looking within and seeing how we operate. Now, is every church or is any church getting it all right? If they are getting it right, then uh, I'm certainly not a member of that church. (laughs) But not every church is going to get it perfect But we are all striving together. We are all persevering together in this church fellowship to glorify God, to advance His kingdom, to serve one another. And that is what God intends for us. And we are all in various seasons of growth. And perhaps for some, that growth has not become. I mean, we assume that those that are here in our congregations within the church walls that are present here today are saved by God's grace, that God has regenerated their heart. But only God knows that, and that's why we want to be intentional about sharing the gospel even among ourselves because there could be one of us here, there could be a few of us here or many of us here that have not yet entered into a saving relationship through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, with God the Father. And it is only for those who are saved that we begin this process of growing in the grace of God, growing in our service unto God, receiving the Holy Spirit so that we are enabled and empowered to do so. Now coming back to the gifts that Paul is referring to here, um, we recognize that this is not the spiritual gifts, so to say, that uh, some churches really make a, a much to do about. Okay, there are some that, you know, center 
the services solely around uh, many of the charismatic manifestations like the gift of tongues, um, just in not having, you know, an orderly worship service, but they may make it more about these types of things that really Paul does not discuss in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, in the gifts that are given to those individuals within the church. He says in verse 7, if it's service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. These are the gifts that better the church as a whole. That is what they are intended to do. If you look at these gifts, you can see that these are not for... um, These are to help serve others. These are not to draw attention to ourselves, but rather these are used as service to others within the body of Christ. I have been part of church movements where the main objective is to get as many saved as we possibly can, and I know that doesn't sound like a bad thing, but this is normally how it has played out in my past experiences, and that's what I'm drawing from right here. Um, there is often a very um, emotional kind of concert that is given before the preacher begins to preach, um, working people up emotionally with the music that is brought, not really having very theologically sound uh, text within the music. And then once everybody has moved emotionally, there will be a very charismatic speaker get up and uh, they will you know, bring this, this message that is usually a topical message in nature and people are very stirred emotionally to the point where they feel like they should go up and they should be uh, led forward to the front of the church. Uh, they put their names on a card, they're led in this uh, ABC prayer and then the church is done with them. And now you just go out and, you know, live your life, do what you can to improve your faith in Christ. But there is never any further cultivation of that faith that one professes. Now, I've, I've been part of that before, and this is what I call the easy believism that I think has corrupted the American church. And this is, this is my opinion. I don't necessarily have the, the scripture here to... Uh, support my claim for this, but it is simply what I, I see going on around us. And what our discipling value speaks to is what happens after one is saved. Does God use fellow believers in our lives to aid each other in our Christian growth? And I believe that He does. We don't just want to add to the numbers by getting names on cards and baptizing people, and then just leave them to whatever may come. There should be a desire to want to mature in the faith by the new believer, but at the same time, there should be a type of surrounding of those new believers to ensure that they are provided the atmosphere in which to grow. And as I mentioned earlier, their faith is being cultivated, uh, that the seed is being watered. They should be supported by others who are gifted to lead and to teach and to express the gifts that God has given to them in a way that will help people grow together. Now, coming to that passage of Scripture that I wanted all of you to bookmark because we're going to spend some time there, and that's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. And he gave the apostles, the prophets the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Well, who are the saints? Exactly. We are the saints. Uh, We don't have to have some special rite of passage or to be prayed into some kind of sainthood status because the Bible is very clear that saints are those who are saved by God. This equipping of the saints, the equipping is the Greek word katartismos, and it means, simply put in the Strong's Concordance, is the complete furnishing is the only definition that it was really that was really found. Um, I looked at some commentary, so keep this in mind. This is commentary saying that equipping also has the idea to put right. This ancient Greek word was used to describe setting broken bones or mending nets. These ministries work together to produce strong, mended, fit Christians. That is a commentator's definition of this word equipping. Now, those who are in roles of leadership within the church, um, they're called out as apostles, pastors, elders, teachers. There are different labels that we might put on those who are uh, responsible for teaching God's Word on a regular basis. Um, They could also be mature Christians. These should be those pouring into those who are young in their faith, those who are struggling and maybe needing some encouragement in their walk. And that's why in our vision or in our value uh, for equipping the saints, we say we will strive to protect the body from the corruption of false ideologies and religions while recognizing and demonstrating it is by God's grace that we are saved and thereby each and every believer is equipped to serve God and others for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Therefore, we will strive to equip the saints through edification in God's Word faithful teaching, prayer, service, and instilling the importance of consecration and sanctification in each and every life of the one who is called a child of God. See, we take this work seriously. All of us do. It's not about, you know, more fellowships and having more fun together and more things to do together, and I think fellowship is a good thing. I'm not knocking that. I mean, here at a moment, we're going to gather together and we're going to share in a meal together, and that's great, and I think that's a component to our values, but discipling is engaging. Discipling is being intentional about getting into God's Word and listening to His instruction in the Scriptures. It is about applying that instruction. It is about being fervent in prayer. It is about holding one another accountable within the fellowship. Discipling is providing an example also for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ is what Paul writes the work of the ministry, we could look at that as being uh, our opportunity to serve others, being directed for service to God, depending on the areas where God has gifted each and every individual. The building up of the body of Christ could be seen as having this idea of the church being strengthened and the, the church being expanded. And we ask ourselves, what are the ways that we can do that? And the main aim, as Paul says here, is that we all arrive at a maturity in the faith. 
the stature of the fullness of Christ that is in Christ Jesus. And while I think it is great for us to bring unbelievers to the church so that they would hear the gospel and that they would be saved, if we limit our time here at the church just evangelizing to the church, then we are really not understanding, you know, the mission of the gospel. The evangelizing component is to be among the outside world. When Jesus sent out his, his disciples in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into the harvest. So it is great that people get saved in church, and I want that, but I also think that evangelizing should be happening in our homes, with our children, with our family members. It's beginning there. It goes into our workplaces. It goes into our everyday lives. That is where the main evangelizing is happening. My opinion, though, is that the church is where the Christian growth is supposed to happen. In many places, Paul, when he would go into various cities and towns and preach the gospel, he would then stay and take up residency there, sometimes for a couple of years, and he would teach them continually. Day after day, he would teach them. Some of them to get so tired, they would fall out of windows because he was teaching continually. That was Paul's aim within the body of believers, is to grow them up in the body of Christ. The church is where we get fed into spiritually, and we learn to feed into others who are one in the body of Christ. Now, Paul is speaking of a place of maturity here where the believer in Christ is on solid footing. And we should never let our guard down, but being less easily deceived because all of us can have chinks in our armor. We get exposed to lies. We can actually believe in those things and we can wander into error. And it's why we must consistently come back to the Word of God. We will strive to protect the body from the corruption of false ideologies and religions while recognizing and demonstrating it is by God's grace that we are saved. And thereby, each and every believer is equipped to serve God and others for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Discipling in the Word is to keep the believer from falling victim to false religions and ideologies that we may no longer be like children that are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, is what Paul writes in Ephesians 4. He also describes human cunning as being one of those ways that we can be deceived by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul and his discipling young Timothy reminds him in chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 of 2 Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And I think in some translations, may be well-rounded and equipped for every good work. And there are many out there in this world, in our churches, that I would call charlatans that they are selling a false gospel. They are amassing thousands of followers and leading their congregation straight into error and straight into hell. Preaching messages of earning God's favor somehow by maybe it's giving more money or maybe it's manifesting these special gifts and, and acting in chaos 
We do not want to be counted among those who are led astray. And that's why we want to protect the body from corruption of false ideologies and religions. We see Paul again in Acts chapter 20. I reference this a lot because it really speaks to the deception that is out there, but not just from the outside, but even from within the inside, within. Acts chapter 20, I'm going to read verses 18 through 22. And then I'm going to read 26 through 30. So Paul is on the coast of Miletus with the elders of Ephesus and he is leaving them with some, what he thinks is some final instruction because he doesn't think he's ever going to see them again. And so he wants these words to count. He wants them to be very important. And here's what he says in Acts 20, beginning in verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. So here Paul is reminding them how often he was with them, how much he poured into them, how intentionally he was at preaching the Word of God as instilling that knowledge within them. And then we read in verse 26, Therefore, I testify to you that this day, this day, that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you and not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is a warning to the church, not just the elders of Ephesus, but for the elders and the pastors and the leaders and the whole congregation of churches today. Because we see that happening We see those from the outside coming in and corrupting the church. They're like fierce wolves drawing people away. Wolves will isolate a member of the flock and they will take them off and they will deceive them and they will corrupt them and ultimately it will lead to their death. That's that's why a wolf is described here. But it even says that a wolf can come from within. Paul says, even from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. And so we want that accountability as well. And that accountability is that we hold each other to the standard of God's word. And we need to be careful in bringing sound doctrine. And that is why our vision establishes the importance of expository teaching. And that our first value affirms the authority of God's word. It's not an accident that it comes in that order. In John chapter 17, verse 17, as Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is where our growth happens. This is where the conviction is found and the 
the chastisement that we need for the sin that we may be you know, committing in our lives that need to be confessed before God. This is where we find our correction, and this is where we find our comfort and our strength. We do not want for ourselves or for those in the church to be deceived, and as Paul says in Ephesians, to be carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Our goal should not be to take every Sunday and to point out every false teacher that you might see and to, take, and to make our messages about the heresy or false teachings of this or that guy or girl. Uh, some have ministries that are dedicated to this, and, and that's fine. But within the body of Carlsbad Bible Church, our mission is to grow you in the knowledge of His Word so that when you hear the error of the false teaching, you will be able to recognize it. Pick up on things and say, well, you know, that doesn't sound right. And why doesn't that sound right? Well, I think I heard something about this in God's Word. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20-22, Paul says, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from everything that is evil. We are to test all things against God's Word. And that is why we often tell you before we even begin teaching here, from this pulpit is that we want you to be Bereans. We want you to go into the foundation of God's Word, and this is where we want you to ground yourself. Those who listened to Paul's teachings but tested it against the Scriptures to be sure that what he was saying, even Paul, what I might describe as a super apostle, um, his Word was tested. That's what the Bereans did, and that's why we commend you to do the same thing. This final part of our vision says, Therefore, we will strive to equip the saints through edification in God's Word, faithful teaching, prayer, service, and instilling the importance of consecration and sanctification in each and every life of the one who is a child of God. Faithful instruction in God's Word is of the utmost importance, and we believe that prayer is a key component to discipleship as well. In Acts chapter 2, 42, we have some very simple ingredients found for the early church there. When they were coming together, it says in verse 42 of chapter 2, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is the word of God. And it continues on. The apostles' teaching and the fellowship, so they were coming together. The breaking of bread, uh, this is uh, the Lord's Supper or the love feast that they were also having and then also the prayers. Paul, in his instructing us to put on the whole armor of God, ends it all with a call to prayer. Almost as if that is how we activate this armor of God that we have been given in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, 16 through 20, he kind of closes out the armor of God, talking about all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then he says in verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We are to be a people of prayer, and that is what we want to demonstrate in our discipleship. Uh, Barry, last week, as he closed out his message on our people, 
He said that he was going to come an hour early to begin to pray and to, um, as he used that analogy from um, Spurgeon about being that the boiler room of the church is that where that's where we we connect with God and that is where we bring our requests to Him and our praises before Him and it is a gift that is given to us by God and we need to use it. We need to pray for wisdom. We need to continually pray for God's instruction. And the service aspect of our vision here, or I'm sorry, of this value, is that we are to show that we are Christ's workmanship. We are to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, is what we read in God's Word. And part of that bearing fruit is how we are serving one another and others. And I think our focus needs to be here within the body of Christ, which is why we put our people as one of our values for our church, and Paul provides us with a wide range of services to others within the body of Christ. I know I read part of Romans 12 earlier to you, but if you want to turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 18, if we're wondering what kind of acts of service could we provide to each other, we can see Paul giving us some pretty clear instruction here. Romans 12, 12, 10 through 18, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. There's the prayer component again. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So we strive to equip the saints through edification in God's word, faithful teaching, prayer, service, and then instilling the importance of consecration and sanctification in each and every life of the one who is a child of God. In the Old Testament, when an offering was brought before the Lord, it was supposed to be consecrated, and consecration means that it was to be set aside, to be set apart as something special that you were going to bring to God. And when we become a believer, when we are saved, we, in a sense, become that living sacrifice unto God. In Matthew 16, 24 through 25, when Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I believe this is what consecration is supposed to look like. We are, in a sense, to be setting ourselves aside for the purpose and the work of God. And we are to demonstrate our willingness to be used by Him by denying ourselves and living for Him. Sanctification is this Greek word, hagiosmos, and it is the effect of consecration. So being set aside for God's use, the effect side of that is the consecration. This is the in-between of the moment of salvation to when God calls us home. We're continually being sanctified. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, 
righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ in you is God's wisdom. Christ in you is His righteousness. Christ in you is sanctification. Christ in you and His completed work is redemption. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then in Romans 6, 20 through 22, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, so there's that consecration part. Now that you have been set aside, you've become slaves obedient to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life, the end goal of every believer, eternal life. And the sanctification all leading us towards glory. We started five Sundays back with a message on our vision. And I'm going to read that once more as we close out this message today. We exist to glorify God as a Christ-centered church who is faithfully committed to a high view of God and His Word through expository preaching while equipping the saints to advance the cause of Christ both in our community and around the world. And then the ways in which we'll uphold that vision is what we might call the four pillars that makes up the leg of the legs of the vision. And these are the values that we affirm that we hold the Scripture as the supreme authority, that that is God's truth, that is His instruction to the believer, that's what He uses to guide our walk, to guide our life in Christ. He convicts us by it. We uh, are presented with a gospel through it. It's the thing that will not change. God's truth will remain, and we need to anchor ourselves to His Word, and we need to teach His Word as authoritative We also have as one of our pillars, one of our values is that we will be gospel-centered in our message, that we communicate both inside the church and to the outside world because we value the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is His greatest work, the redemptive plan that was decreed long ago before the world began that God made a way for sinners to have peace with Him, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. The other value is is that we value our people. I think there needs to be here an investment made in each other within the church. That we are concerned about each other's needs. We work to come alongside each other to listen and to hear the problems and the struggles that we may be going through and to help to uphold and strengthen each other with prayer and through the message of God's word, working to encourage each other as we live this life out in Christ together. So we value our people, and then finally, we will engage in equipping the saints or discipling. And this is what we value in making disciples. We want to protect others from the false doctrines and ideologies that are out there in this world. That's why I started in our scripture reading in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where there will be those that will heap around themselves. They want to hear those teachings and that instruction that is just tickling the ears. It's just that flavored speech that is uh, just sugar-coated. It's not the actual truth of God, but we want to be faithful in dividing God's word of truth rightly and letting it land as it will. I mean, it should be convicting. It demonstrates to us that we are all under God's wrath, 
but how we can become a child of God, how we can enter into that peace relationship with God, and how we can grow in our relationship with Christ and serving one another in the body of Christ. Now, we have been looking at different ways to present our vision and values um, in a visible way here at the church. We obviously want to do that in just how we live out our Christian walk, but uh, we have some ideas in terms of some artwork that we can put on the walls here, and we're actively uh, trying to get that underway just to kind of keep these things out in front of us. As we mentioned at the very outset, the vision and values will be used uh, as a filter through which we will make decisions for the church. Uh, one of the ways it might be used is someone comes to us with a great ministry opportunity uh, that we can do out in the community, we will evaluate that through our vision and values. And we might see that ministry opportunity as not being something that's bad. It could be really good for the community, but for us as a church, is this something for us? We keep these as the sideboards that guides us. And so if it's not, we probably will say, you know, this is great. You might go and, and do that yourself, or um, this is something we may want to take part in. So this is one of the ways that we will use the vision and values for our church. Um, I also mentioned that we will be having uh, bylaws developed here soon for the church. We look to have those hopefully out by the beginning of the year, and in that we will describe church membership process. We feel as we've grown with a church, there have been others that have asked us about being coming a member of Carlsbad Bible Church, and I think when we were really small, it was easy just to tell someone, you know, come start getting involved, and you're considered a member here. But we, we need to demonstrate and really disclose what we believe as a church, what we hold to, and the beginning of this is our vision and values. And then within the bylaws, we'll have our statement of faith. And if we affirm that together, then we see ourselves as being members of one another and members of Carlsbad Bible Church. But that is forthcoming. Uh, we're excited about that. Uh, when we began a home, as a, uh, when we began a church as a home fellowship, uh, things kind of worked in a reverse action. And it took us, what, 12 years to now get to a place where we feel that God is leading us to establish the vision and values, to put some framework around this, and to also begin looking at the, the bylaws and uh, what it is to be a member of Carlsbad Bible Church. So I'm going to end with this um, exhortation uh, from Paul from 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and this will be our benediction this morning. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ.